Here's a story about a pioneer girl. Or at this point, she's a young pioneer woman setting out for Missouri. She's only 27 years old, but she's endured a lot. Poverty, Dakota droughts, blizzards, a near-fatal bout with diphtheria, the loss of a baby. And this pioneer woman's troubles started early. From age nine, she's worked to provide for her family. She's hired herself out to work for a family in their hotel. And, still a kid, fought off an unwanted middle-of-the-night visit from the son of the hotel owner. Now, at 8.40 in the morning, on July 17, 1894, this pioneer woman has gathered together her life savings, her belongings, and her husband and daughter. She's packed them into a covered wagon, like the one she herself traveled west in as a child. She's hidden about $260 cash, tucked away in a lap desk for safekeeping. And she's setting out to Missouri with a dream for a better life, one with verdant farmland and apple orchards. But while this young woman has endured a lot, even more than the hardships you think of when you think of the pioneer girl, she still hopes things are about to get better. She's determined to survive, and in fact, to thrive. And of all the people in her life, the one who's going to help her rise to unexpected heights is not her father, her husband, or her elders, but her daughter. This is a story about how that happens. And what happens on her road to success is significant. Because not only does this woman and her daughter defy the image we have of the pioneer girl, She's probably done more than any other American to create it. Her name is Laura Ingalls Wilder. Welcome to Show Me the State, the program where we explore the strange, misunderstood stories of Missouri's past and try to figure out what really happened why did it happen? And how has that shaped the state today? I'm Christopher Husted. I'm here with producer Janet Saidi, noted Laura Ingalls Wilder fan at KBIA. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hello. So, Janet, I remember reading Little House on the Prairie in elementary school, but I also remember the reruns of the TV show. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're watching TV in the 1970s, there's no way you could have missed Little House on the Prairie. It was a super popular television series at a time when everybody watched the same thing. It was, of course, based on the popular series of children's books written by Laura Ingalls Wilder, starting in 1932 from her home in the Missouri Ozarks. Morning, working hard. Morning, Ingalls. Not too hard. Pa Ingalls, played by a very fit Michael Landon, who <laughs> always seemed to be showing his chest, <laughs> embodies the ideal of the yeoman farmer making a place for his family on the frontier. The star of the show is the second oldest Ingalls girl, Laura, played by Melissa Gilbert, who seems to have looked a lot like the real Laura Ingalls Wilder and talked like her, too. Our Christmas pennies! We still have those. I could use mine to buy the pencil. Okay, Janet, so you really seem to know your Laura. What don't we know? Right. Well, there's 
a lot that's really easy to miss about the life of Laura Ingalls Wilder if you know the stories from the show or even really from the books, which is the pure hardship. There's a lot of failure in the Ingalls life. And life on the frontier just really sucked. (laughs) So what about this little house on the prairie? The little girls frolicking through the wildflowers, the pigtail pulling and antics (laughs) in the one-room schoolhouse. Nellie Olson. Oh, yes. And, of course, Pa's fiddle. Well, much of that was true, but it was important to Laura Ingalls Wilder to draw from life and to portray the real hardships of life on the frontier. After all, you, you have to have the hardships to show the heroism. How does that come through in Laura's story? Glad you asked. Let's start by visiting Laura's home. <laughs> yes. Are you ready to go to the house? My name is Vicki Johnston. I've been with the Wilder Home for 10 years. This is my 11th season. I started as a tour guide. The difficulty of frontier life is very much in evidence at the Wilder House and Museum in Mansfield, Missouri. About 30,000 visitors a year make the trek to Rocky Ridge Farmhouse, where Wilder lived and wrote. You can see Pa's fiddle there, by the way, Chris. Nice. People at the Wilder House in Mansfield tend to have a true sense of the struggle Wilder was portraying because they know not just the TV show, but also the books. People here really know the books. This is the actual fiddle that Charles Ingalls played. Um, You can imagine in the long winter when they were very tired and emotionally distraught, no place to go to do anything except just snow when you open the door. This fiddle gave them so much uh, comfort. Barb Hawkins has been leading tours through the Wilder House and Museum since she retired after 35 years of teaching. She introduced many classes of children to the Little House books. Now she leads tour groups of people from Japan, Australia, Europe. We asked her what attracts people from all over the world to these stories. It's easy, she says. And I think it gives them a taste of our pioneer life and of the difficult times we've been through. So many people from other countries look at us and say, oh, everything is peaches and cream, just really great. But they read those books and they realize that our pioneers went through an awful lot. It's an eye opener. So Wilder insisted on reliving the hardship of the settlers striking out west to make a life for themselves. But the most interesting part of this story is what Laura Ingalls Wilder left out of her stories. And why? To get to this story, you have to go all the way back, beyond Laura's marriage, beyond Walnut Grove, back to even before the little house in the big woods, to Charles Ingalls, that yeoman farmer ideal, plowing his way west with the spirit of America and manifest destiny at his heels. And when you go back in that history, you see a different picture. We have certain fixed ideas about Wilder um, that turn out not necessarily to be true. Historian Caroline Frazier points out in Prairie Fires, her biography of Laura Ingalls Wilder, it's the Pulitzer Prize winner in biography last year, Charles Ingalls kept moving, that's true, but he didn't always move consistently westward as portrayed in the books. He backtracks and zigzags. Ma'am? Well, what can I do for you? Well, I'd like a plow and wheat seed, enough for 100 acres. And sometimes the land Charles Ingalls settled on was not his to take, which takes us to the house right before and after that little house in the big woods 
a house on the Kansas frontier built by Charles Ingalls on Osage land with logging from forests that also belonged to the Osage Indians. At a time when the U.S. government was taking land from the Osage and other Native American tribes under the 1830 Indian Removal Act, squatters' settlements were popping up and newspapers and advertisements were promoting them. Charles Ingalls was one of those squatters. In the winter of 1869, Laura was almost three. She described in her writings Jack the Bulldog guarding the cabin, Paul lifting her up to the cabin window to see a pack of wolves circling the house, quote, their noses pointed up at the big bright moon. But by 1870, Charles Ingalls was already packing up and moving again. Fraser writes that this was the third home he'd abandoned and the second home abandoned with debt or non-payment. I understand cash on a barrel and... It's the way I like to deal and will just as soon as I get that first crop to sell. Uh, they really did struggle. I think her father um, caused a lot of hardship for the family by uh, moving them around to different places, which really wasn't all that unusual then. But um, there were certain uh, moves that he made that definitely, uh, I think, impoverished them. Um, and so I think she is very selectively choosing what to tell and what not to tell. Of course, an important aspect of frontier life that Wilder clearly left out is the experience of non-settlers on the frontier. She's been criticized for an insensitive portrayal and exoticism of Native Americans and African Americans on the frontier. Those stories are minimized or absent, and painful aspects of her own family's hardships are also left out. The Ingalls family abandons the Kansas house, then the little house in the big woods of Wisconsin, and the family goes to Minnesota. They live in a dugout near Walnut Grove on the shores of Plum Creek. This is where another Ingalls baby is born, Freddie, in 1875, a year before The Adventures of Tom Sawyer is published. But this younger brother doesn't appear in the books. Soon after he's born, Pa packs up the family again. They leave the peaceful shores of Plum Creek and move east this time to stay with relatives. They travel in a covered wagon, and on the way, Freddie dies. This was a story too painful for the books. By this time, Laura Ingalls is nine years old. Her family has moved five times, and they're about to move again. Pa is still searching for a home, and so is Laura. She won't find a home for a very long time. In 1876, after failed attempts at pioneering in Kansas and at farming in Wisconsin and Minnesota, Charles Ingalls moves the family again, this time to town, Burr Oak, Iowa, and then Walnut Grove, Minnesota. These were not happy golden years. I wonder why Laura Ingalls doesn't come in the store anymore. Because she's too poor to buy anything. That's why. So's her father. He can't even pay what he owes in the store. Yeah. Can't get a decent job either. All he does is dig in the mud and clean up after horses. My pa works hard. So does a mule. The Ingalls worked in a hotel adjacent to a saloon. In the TV show, Burr Oak and Walnut Grove represent the seediness and snobbery of town life. In her own autobiography, Pioneer Girl, Lara describes some close-up scenes of alcoholism and violence, stories she left out of the Little House books. One, for instance, where Mr. Cameron drags Mrs. Cameron by her long hair with one hand, a kerosene lamp in the other, as fire flames around them. That happened in the house where Laura and Mary were living and sleeping upstairs. Laura had just turned 10 years old. 
The Burr Oak and Walnut Grove hotels were businesses of the Masters family. Laura Ingalls Wilder hated this family. Bullet holes in the living room told the story. The son, an alcoholic Will Masters, had shot at his wife Nancy as she fled him. And Laura herself told of a middle-of-the-night visit from Will Masters. When she later worked and slept in the hotel, she remembered Will coming to her in the middle of the night, his whiskey breath breathing over her as he told her to lie down and be still. She threatened to scream if he didn't get away from her. And while Genevieve Masters is one of three girls that make up a composite character that became Nellie Olson, Laura's nemesis in the TV show, many of the experiences in the towns of Burr Oak and Walnut Grove are omitted from the books. Smells bad. Smells like a dirty stable. That's all he's good for, clean up after horses. So the Little House stories are true and not true. Or as Wilder herself put it, the stories are not historic, but they are true. The thing is, Pioneer Girl, Laura Ingalls Wilder's first attempt at writing books, wasn't something she was able to get published herself. It was rejected by publishers, and one who finally recommended that she might retell these stories for children, which she did eventually. Pioneer Girl and her real stories weren't published until the year 2014. That might be why when we talk about the stories of Little House, there's a lot that we don't talk about. We don't talk so much about poverty, welfare, homelessness, assault, alcoholism. It's not until 1880 that Charles Ingalls files a homestead claim near DeSmet, Dakota, and the family settles for a while. Dakota Territory is where 13-year-old Laura comes of age. Charles Ingalls is an active community builder in this frontier town, and Laura, too, begins a lifelong career of community involvement. When she's 16 years old, she teaches in a one-room schoolhouse. And it's here in DeSmet that the one thing in Laura's life that might actually be romantic happens to her. It arises from the biggest hardship when the blizzard of 1881 sets in, leaving the frontier town without food and supplies. As people grow hungry and cold, two young men, one named Cap Garland, who was Laura's former suitor, and the other a new arrival, Almanzo Wilder, they saddle up their horses and set out in dangerous conditions to obtain food for the stranded frontier town. They make it back and save the town. Of course, Almanzo Wilder really did this in Dakota Territory in the long winter of 1881. And of course, that story has a happy ending. Almanzo Wilder becomes the husband of Laura Ingalls. With her stories, it was important for Wilder to redraw her family and her memories as inspiring and sometimes heroic, to encourage and educate her young audiences, maybe. And Fraser says maybe also for her own pleasure or closure. You know, one of the, one of the funny things about her is that, uh, you know, she she just got so into this process that in the end, I think she wanted to believe her own fiction. Towards the end, both she and Rose begin heavily emphasizing uh, this idea that that everything in the books was all true, <laughs> and that is is a, a really uh, interesting tip off, I think as to her uh, emotional uh, desire to believe the fiction that she was writing. And what Wilder left out, that also tells a story. When we don't talk about that, we miss something. Because writing, fictionalizing her experience, will change the fortunes of Laura Ingalls Wilder. It will take her from discomfort to comfort. But how does Wilder bridge that gap? 
How does she get from an impoverished but determined frontier girl to a successful, famous woman living on a farm in Missouri? You just heard the answer a moment ago. It's Rose. Rose Wilder Lane, Laura Ingalls Wilder's daughter. Thank you, Janet. We'll be right back. You're listening to Show Me the State on KBIA 91.3 FM. Check out our other podcasts, The Obvious Question and The True False Podcast on KBIA.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to Show Me the State. So, yeah, we're going to see a lot more people on the Rose Tour. But it's nice to, uh, meet you. nice to meet you, too. I'll let you carry on before the next tour starts. Uh, okay, thank right. you. So now... We're back at the Wilder House and Museum in a place at the farther edge of the property known as the Rock House. This was the house that Rose built, and it's a great place to introduce Rose because Rose loved houses, really loved houses. And it's no wonder. Remember that pioneer girl, her husband and her daughter starting out in their covered wagon? Well, they made it to Missouri. After years of failed crops, disease, a house Almanzo built that literally burned down while Laura and Little Rose watched, the family had traveled the hundreds of miles south, joining tens of thousands, 40,000 in five years, according to Caroline Frazier, of migrants in an exodus south, and they'd arrived in Mansfield, Missouri. In real desperation, Laura had retrieved that $260 from her lab desk and bought a farm. As Frazier writes, they put the deed in her name alone. Laura was a landowner. They have heard that Mansfield, Missouri is a um, uh, haven, really, almost a kind of refuge with all these fruit trees. And and at the time that they made this move, um, the Ozarks were having a little bit of a moment, uh, and Mansfield was, in fact, going through a, a kind of a brief boom period. And Marie is one of our docents doing the Rose Tour this season, and so this is what she's doing at the moment. And I'm going to let you listen in as Marie talks about the Rock House. This is part of the Rose Tour. Uh, Now, Rose uh, bought the house plans from the Sears and Roebuck catalog. I have a replica of one of those catalogs over there. And uh, I think uh, her father probably suggests that she buy the building materials from local uh, businesses so she would have more. This summer at the Wilder House and Museum, the Rose Tour was a specialty. Guides conducted customized tours telling the story of Rose and her house. Rose Wilder Lane was precocious and seemed to have her grandfather's, Charles Ingalls, sense of adventure. She left Mansfield as a teenager and ended up in San Francisco, earning a living writing sensational stories inspired by yellow journalism and writing exaggerated autobiographies of famous people like Henry Ford and Charlie Chaplin. By the time she was in her 30s in the 1920s, Rose was consorting with the highest paid and most well-known journalists in the country. She had traveled all over the country in Eastern Europe, the Balkans, the Middle East, through the early 1920s. But always, even in the midst of her adventures, Rose would come back to Mansfield. She even researched at the University of Missouri for a while, living at the Tiger Hotel. And as you might imagine, when this globetrotting woman journalist arrived in the Ozarks, it was kind of a big deal. Her mother, Laura Ingalls Wilder, would host gatherings at the Rocky Ridge Farmhouse so that literary ladies could meet Rose. She was the local celebrity. But in contrast, Laura and Almanzo were just eking out a living, largely doing odd jobs. 
they were basically raising all the food uh, that they needed uh, on the farm. But the problem with uh, life is that there, you know, that there are bills that come due. That there, even if you are living sustainably. Following Rose's example with writing, Laura Ingalls Wilder was dipping into writing. She was doing a regular column for the Missouri Ruralist News Magazine about being a small farm wife, raising chickens, managing an egg run, apple production, and co-managing with a husband who she refers to as the man of the place. But in the 1920s, despite their hard work, the odd jobs, the Ruralist column, Laura and Almanzo were getting older and they were still struggling financially. To Rose... Earning money was easy. She wrote, and she suggested her mother do the same. But the other thing Laura could do was build. So during this time, she built something she'd never really had because all had been lost, again, to failed crops, fires, debt. She built a home. This will be what Laura Almanzo heard. She took the old Manfield farmhouse and added authentic materials and design, possibly inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright's prairie style. She told Amanzo not to even bother making the stone hearth if he could not haul the authentic local rocks up to the house. She paid attention to the details. And so did Rose. After giving up a huge mansion she designed in Albania, Rose came to Mansfield and designed a place on the property she called the Rock House. Laura's revolver. Jeez. Wilder was really uh, intent on creating... Um, a place that just embodied security and stability and permanence. Um, and I think that that, uh, you know, goes all the way back to her childhood, the covered wagon era, the rootlessness of, of her early years where her father uh, is taking the family all over creation and, um, and, and the impermanence of the, of the places um, that they lived in uh, as a child, the tar paper shanties. There's this photograph of, of Carrie Ingalls' shanty um, from a little bit later uh, in uh, South Dakota that gives you an idea of just how very primitive those um, little shacks were. I mean, they, there was no real foundation, no uh, plumbing, of course, no privacy. Um, and so I think she did yearn for uh, a place that embodied um, stability. That's funny. This is the third sewing box that I've seen today. <laughs> She's a great Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. Are going to take a look at Pa's fiddle? So now in Mansfield, you have Rose traveling the world to designing outrageous houses. You have Rose's mother, Laura Ingalls Wilder, building the Rocky Ridge farmhouse after a life in covered wagons. You have Rose's grandfather, Charles Ingalls' pa, constantly on the move in search of land, farm, and independence. Always in this story, you have to search for a home. In April of 1924, you could say Laura Ingalls Wilder had arrived. She was 56 years old. She'd lived in Mansfield for 30 years. Charles Ingalls had been dead for 22 years and had been that long since she'd seen her mother. Unlike Charles Ingalls, Laura had found her land, built her home, and she'd spend the next 33 years at the farmhouse called Rocky Ridge. One of her favorite things to do 
was to sit in the large parlor surrounded by her needlework, her books, the cypress table Almanzo had crafted, and to watch the seasons change outside the huge picture windows. She said every two hours, the scenery changed, and that's true. Uh, if you work here all day giving tours, every time you cross over those stairs and come into the parlor, the shade markings are different on the ground. There's a different picture for you to look at. On an early summer day in 1924, Laura received a telegram at the farmhouse reading, Mother passed away this morning. Caroline Ingalls had died. Laura was devastated and overcome by the memories of her mother's life, and in the following months, her mind went back to her early life on the frontier. She became eager to find and hold on to whatever memories of that life she could recapture. Also likely on her mind, though, was what Rose had taught her, that experiences and stories could be mined, revised, and sold in a way that would make life easier. So, as Caroline Fraser tells the story, on the summer day in June, a year after her mother's death, Laura Ingalls Wilder wrote to an aunt, Martha Carpenter, with a request. She asked her aunt to send her the vanity cake recipe that she'd never had a chance to get from Caroline. And then she went on to ask for much more from Aunt Martha, her memories. Send me, she asked, the pages and pages of things you remember. That was 1925. Over the next few years, Laura Ingalls Wilder sat and wrote her story, Pioneer Girl. Rose coached her mother tirelessly and sent it to the manuscript to editors, and each publishing house rejected the story. But then one editor suggested that the story might be good for children. After many, many revisions and rewrites between Laura and Rose, Little House in the Big Woods hit bookshelves, followed by eight other books for young readers. Laura Ingalls Wilder was 65 years old. Since 1932, the books have sold an estimated 60 million copies and been translated into more than 40 languages. Laura Ingalls Wilder stayed on the farm in Mansfield until her death in 1957 at the age of 90. Her goal was to make it to 90, just like Almanzo had. So, Janet, how do you think Laura's life ended up as part of the great and oftentimes ugly American story? Well, it's interesting, Chris, to think back to that little family embarking on a covered wagon trip to Missouri. What they were leaving behind and what lay ahead and how it would be achieved. And so much would be achieved, more than Laura or Rose could have dreamed of. There would be apple orchards, the verdant landscapes and the farm life. There would be wealth and success, adoration, even celebrity. All that achieved from a little farm in the Missouri Ozarks. But it's also useful to remember that ultimately, the comfort, the sense of home came not from the land itself, as Laura Ingalls Wilder wanted us to believe. It didn't come from the calf tending and chicken raising, but from the writing, telling the stories from life, memory, and the mining of those past experiences, some of which were too painful to write. And through those memories, putting American readers in a vision of family, of home, of mid-America. Sadly, not a vision that included all Americans that left out some of our story, but a vision that spoke of struggle and family, music, sadness, joy, all playing out in a comfortable, hard-won home. Or you might say, in a little house on the prairie.
Show Me the State is produced at KBIA at the Missouri School of Journalism. Janet Saidi produced this episode. The supervising producer is me, Christopher Husted. Our managing editor is Ryan Femuliner. Our theme music and original scoring was created by Columbia band Loose Loose. Most of the fiddle music you heard in this episode was recorded on Pa Ingalls' actual fiddle, performed by George Mason. Thank you to the Laura Ingalls Wilder Home and Museum for the copies. Also, special thanks to Caroline Frazier, whose Pulitzer Prize-winning historical biography of Wilder inspired much of what you hear in this episode and was a key source of information for our research. Thanks also to the website littlehouseontheprairie.com, which has the timelines and biographies we refer to in this piece, and the annotated autobiography of Wilder's Pioneer Girl, edited by Pamela Smith-Hill, was also a huge resource. Thanks to Vicki Johnston, Tana Redman, and the Laura Ingalls Wilder Historic Home and Museum in Mansfield, Missouri, for the tours and the conversation. And thank you to the Reynolds Journalism Institute and to the Kinder Institute on Constitutional Democracy.